And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PNR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Well, hello, content marketers. I'm Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 67 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded on Monday, February 23rd, 2015. Well, did you watch the Oscars last night? We've got a drinking game here at Casa de Rose. What else is new? And it goes a little like this. You drink when you think it just can't get any weirder. So we drank when Neil Patrick Harris came out wearing underwear. We drank when Lady Gaga belted out Climb Every Mountain, reminding us how bad that movie really is. We drank more when suddenly the proceedings became a forum on women's pay in the workplace. And by the time Sean Penn was asking for the director of Birdman's green card, but let's just say we opened another bottle. So yeah, I like the Oscars, okay? And if you've got your own weird moments, let us know, would you? Go on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Is our little show the give you the excitement that Eddie Redmayne had when he won for Best Actor? Or is it that odd kind of creepy feeling that John Travolta has with all his little face touching? Just a little weird? Let us know, won't you? All right, let's get on with our own little awards show, and where we'll honor the best, the weirdest, the goofiest news in the world of content marketing. And to help me do that, of course, I'm happy to introduce my partner, my colleague, my good, good friend, the Oscar-winning actor, writer, and director of the movie Content Marketing Saves the World, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Did you watch the Oscars last night? Uh, first of all, I want to see that movie, Content Marketing Saves the World. I really like that Absolutely. It's, 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 it's rated PG. <laughs> of course it is. I don't know if it's in if a it's world, you and I do it. In a world where native advertising PG-13. is ruining it. Um, I watched... <laughs> Right, I started watching right where uh, Neil Patrick Harris came out in his undies, which there you go. Is have you seen Birdman? By the way, the movie I have. So it it did not deserve to win. It did not. I am going on record. Birdman was not the best movie of the year. Well, I only, I thought but Birdman was go. an excellent movie. Which when I, I thought, thought that good. part was really was funny because I, I saw Birdman because you so you get the reference. If you didn't see Birdman, you didn't know what the heck he was doing. Um, right. But what was the best movie of the year? Well, you know, so I, yeah, here's where I, th- I, you know, look, I think, I think Boyhood get, I, I don't, I didn't love Boyhood either, but I think Boyhood should get it just for pure, sort of stretching the, it out over time. Uh, yeah, the epic nature of it and the and the and the the amount of sort of effort and art that went into that, I thought that was probably the one that should have uh, that should have won Best Picture. Um, yeah, probably. I, I didn't, you know. I didn't love Birdman enough, and, and you know it's like the, the other ones I thought were were you know I, I, the, the the imitation game I thought was really great. Um, I really loved uh, uh, the theory of everything. I thought that was really good. Um, you know I thought all the movies were really good. I thought you know look I thought Selma probably should have been there, but you know who knows. You see a lot of movies, man. Oh, I do. I do. And the funny thing is, these days, I see them mostly on airplanes. Well, that's true. That is true. Yeah. Because as, and as you and I gear up for our Sydney-Singapore Singapore trip, lots of time. Oh, there will be. I, to I'll watch. be catching. Yes, I will be catching. I'll watch. Up all, lots so I've of seen movies. Birdman, but I'll see the other four on the plane, I'm sure. Oh, sure. As we go. Yeah. yeah. Very, very good. So, so yeah. where are you? Uh, what are you doing this week? You're, you're in. Uh, well, this week I am actually home, which is nice, and actually working with a client here in L.A., the elusive uh, Los Angeles. But uh, but I'm happy to be home in the warm weather. And you're and you 
are in Boston in the tundra that is the East Coast um, speaking uh, at a life sciences thing. Yes, I, I have a life sciences association tomorrow. So I was I left Cleveland at almost zero degrees, like even zero. Nice. And I got to the balmy uh, temperature of eight degrees here in Boston. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, I took off the gloves and the coat. I mean, it wasn't necessary. Once I got yeah, off the there plane, you go. So, yeah, get a tan. It, there's snow get everywhere. Your tan on. It's, it's ridiculous, man. It even like nice. as you could, as you're flying from Cleveland to Boston, it just it's just a white. It's white everywhere, and you know you don't know anything <laughs> like about the Oscars. That Los actually, Angeles. was last night. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> oh, All right, hey, do we have a show this. Let's week? move on to the Let's news, shall we? <laughs> All right, big news. Uh, coming from our friends at LinkedIn this week, LinkedIn launches new marketing solutions, as we have been predicting that they would do since they acquired Bizzo, whatever it was, a year ago. Um, this article comes to us courtesy of TechCrunch, and but really just search on Google and you'll find any number of news outlets reporting this. And LinkedIn is launching an expanded version of its marketing solutions platform, um, new products, uh, that go beyond LinkedIn itself and really working toward helping marketers and advertisers reach a lot more customers. We kind of knew this was coming. We talked about it before. The platform now has five named main pieces to it. The LinkedIn Lead Accelerator, Sponsored Updates, the LinkedIn On-Site Display, LinkedIn Network Display, and Sponsored Email. Uh, which is basically sponsored in mail, if for those of you who know the LinkedIn platform. So what say you, Joe Polizzi? Is this, uh, is this a good move? Uh, is this important for marketers to know about? What, uh, well, what it's interesting, right? So now with the, with the Bizzo integration, now they, you, know, you can buy advertising off LinkedIn site, right? And then you can take that data yep. and integrate it with what you're going to get on LinkedIn. And, and now they're, you know, they're, that's a data part of their business. It's interesting to yep. see how fast the marketing solutions division. It looks like in this report, they're 56% growth year over year, which is fairly impressive, up to $153 yeah. million of LinkedIn. It's still not the largest portion of LinkedIn's revenues. Uh, that's still the talent side, but boy, but catching up and, and doing a pretty good job of it. I guess what, you know, and you and I have talked to us about this before, so we, we talked about Bizzo. Now they've got the off-site sponsorship. They've got that integrated. When does the, when do they buy the, the content recommendations engine? When does that come? You got to figure that that they're in talks with a, an Alpine oh, or a Taboola or, or something. Absolutely, it's coming soon, right? It's coming because if you look at it, it's the one piece that's still missing, right? You know, because if you look at the if you look at Lead Accelerator, which I guess the best way to describe Lead Accelerator is, and I have not gotten to see it in action, but basically the way I when I'm reading about it is that it's a data appending service or data enhancement service, sort of the classic what Bizzo did and sort of using the you know sort of expansiveness of the LinkedIn network to append and or enhance your data collection capabilities on you know being able to automatically fill in lead forms mm-hmm. and that sort of thing and then you've got the and I'm a little confused here the difference between LinkedIn network display and LinkedIn on-site display which I know they're retargeting and content retargeting there but Quite frankly, the reporting on this has not been terribly clear, and I didn't really get it from even their blog post to understanding the differences between those things. I'm guessing LinkedIn network display is really the retargeting across the network of sites, and then LinkedIn on-site display is sort of their classic uh, you know, targeting of ads basically on LinkedIn or LinkedIn properties. And that might be the area where they would – 
expand into other types of uh, you know related content. So taking sort of that influencer posts and and sort of the posts that you're now creating on LinkedIn and using that to sort of really be able to syndicate out to you know basically take a tabula or uh, outbrain type of model and go out you know to other businesses with and really you know really start offering it out you know basically provide the LinkedIn blogging platform as a place where you can actually you know create branded content and and sort of you know both monetize your blogs if you're doing that or get more reach mm-hmm. if you're if you're creating well, content so it, it seems to me a, a natural fit I think I mean and correct me if I'm wrong because I just I might be thinking about this wrong but there's besides the outbrain tabula fit, the content recommendation discovery engine, whatever you want to call it, that that's for sure is right. a glaring hole right now. We just identified that. But I also think that as they become a full fledged platform <laughs> slash glaring, pl- yeah, exactly <laughs> a full fledged as they become a full fledged publisher slash platform. Right. I think they're missing yeah. um, a marketing automation slash CRM system. I don't even know if that's well, I don't even yeah. know if that's a possibility but I'm just saying as you could see the possibilities there like a Sure. I mean, you could absolutely see the possibility there, but that puts them into it. I mean, that really crosses over, right? I mean, that really puts them squarely in the enterprise software category. You know, you can even argue like that, you know, with the acquisition of an outbrain or a, you know, even though they're getting into what would be classically called ad tech at that point, that they're still clinging to their social network slash publishing content roots. The minute they start getting into, okay, well, we'll be your CRM system or we'll be your marketing automation tool, that's a whole other business. And I can't see them. I don't that. know. I mean, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, but I don't know if it's a whole nother business anymore. I don't think you can clearly. I, fair I point. Think that the, fair point. I mean, I was reading the paper today and, you know, the, the, in the USA Today, and there's a story all about Apple and, and their cars, whatever's <laughs> good. So. The stalwart industry journal known as the exactly. USA Today. And it was a fantastic <laughs> piece talking about, you know, the iCar or whatever yeah. it's going to be called. Right. What business? Right. Well, people are saying that Apple's going to buy Tesla. But, well, I, you know. I actually think that that will happen because I, I think that, Uh-oh. well, I think it, right. you heard it here. From- I think it'd be a smart move. Um, not yeah. that we're talking about Apple here, but I, I mean, my point is right. because of of the influence of technology in all these industries, there's no clear cut like there's no clear cut media company anymore, right? I mean, you you could you don't just have you're not just a media company. You're selling products and services. You're selling media. LinkedIn is a media company. They're also a platform. They're also a technology company. Sure. I mean, you can argue that this is you know this is what Google is doing, right? You know, Google got, has gotten into the sort of productivity space, right? Yep. They have Gmail and they have all kinds of things that are helping basically companies really manage enterprise software. So you know, when you put it like that, I, I, I get it, right? You know, this is if LinkedIn has sort of aspirations of being Google-like where they are very, very integrated across the entirety of what business does, um, sort of starting with, you know, people and really helping people connect you know, you can really take that mission and 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 run with it, and and really get into everything like you're talking about marketing automation and even email and messaging. And uh, didn't we talk about whether it was two two shows ago? I think where we talked about LinkedIn. The rumor was they were going to launch an intranet type of yes. 
you know, uh, community. And we were both like, yeah, we get that. You know, why Facebook is doing it, don't get it. But why LinkedIn does it, totally get it. Uh, you could be right. You have, it, I'm, you're well, selling. Well, I mean, it, it's just, I don't know, because I mean, I'm, you're working on your book, I'm working on my book. I'm, I'm looking at a lot of business models. And if you look at the yeah. meetings that Google's in and the meetings that Apple are in, I know they've been having them for years and they've been saying, look, we have 90% of our revenue in one product line. That's a pro, and, and you're saying, look, we've got to diversify, and they have the cash to make bets, and LinkedIn has the cash to make bets right now. So they're looking at what we just talked about, and they're also looking at, well, how far do we want to get in the content creation business? How far do they want to get in the agency business? Yeah, there's another thing yeah. that they could, you know, and I know they're dabbling in it right now, and they work with agency partners, right. but they could easily sure. just say, you know what, we're doing everything for marketers anyways, we might as well just help them with their content as well, because we can see the data, we've got experts, we understand how to, you know, we're a publisher, we understand how to create content, we're going to do that too. It just, it's just interesting ball game right now. I, I, you know, yeah. I don't know if any of this amounts to any, all this conversation we're having amounts to anything, but it just, it's interesting. And for marketers that are in B2B, I mean, it's, it makes you think, uh, well, you know, how, how in deep do we want to get with LinkedIn? And you could make arguments on both sides. I want to get more in deep with what we're doing in LinkedIn, or I'm a little bit nervous about it. Either way, you can do it. <laughs> I can make the case either way. You're in deep. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a metaphor for you. Um, you know, I, I, here's what I, here's the conclusion I come away with is that LinkedIn knows how to execute this stuff. I mean, you know, any other any of the other big companies would have made this acquisition and taken years to get this they out did the do door. It fast. And they, the fact that the, the fact that they got this this fast um, and actually launched this, um, and assuming you know, I haven't gotten to work with it, so I'm assuming it works. But assuming it works, this was this was extraordinarily well executed and, and just you know, yeah, I, I, another feather in their cap. So kudos to them. So I so for a, what? Let's say a year from now, we'll have to come back to this episode 67 and see if they've purchased a marketing automation platform that integrates. Oh, sure. It's going to happen. Yeah. I think it's going to happen faster. Than you think that, with the yeah, marketing? Exactly you're, right. So you're questioning the CRM, but you think the marketing automation is going to happen? Well, I think Noel. No, I think the con- I think the content targeting thing is going to happen first. Oh, that's, the that's discovery. The, that's, the discovery. The, yeah. That's yeah. That's the content. The content discovery stuff I think happens first. The the other stuff is I think a, a question mark in my head. But I but I can see that I can see the case for it now for sure. And then they'll 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 not they won't do any of it and they'll just buy a big agency. There you go. <laughs> All right, next <laughs> next story. We're moving on now to our you know the I guess. If you're the godfather of content marketing, this guy is sort of the, I don't know what you want to call him, the grandparent of permission marketing. <laughs> this the is the guy that every marketer, every digital marketer certainly had a Seth Godin action figure in his or her cube. Um, and so this is an interview with uh, Seth Godin on content marketing at Contently. Hat tip, by the way, to Jeff Cram over at iSight Design for sending this story. Thank you, Jeff. Um, and it comes to us from Contently. And it basically opens up, and it's an interview with Seth Godin, the, as they say, godfather of modern marketing. Um, and it really goes through, so first, of a history, right, and sort of introducing in 1999. Seth published this book, Permission Marketing, and in every way was a revelation. I might quibble a little bit with that, having been there at the time. Um, but anyway, it's, it's very well-respected, seminal work. And then goes into this interview, and, and I think there's a couple of really interesting tidbits because the interview is really focused on 
what they call the future of branded content, what you know we kids like to call content marketing. And he goes on at length, and, and I'll pull one out, and then I want to get sure. your take on this, Joe. Uh, the, the one that really pulled the, the, that I pulled out was this idea where they said, where Seth basically says, the question was, what is the most important thing about this branded content trend? And he brought up a really interesting thing that I'm starting to hear more and more, which was he thought the most important thing was to have an office that's not in your building. And he says, I think what kills brands is trying to be, that are trying to be interesting is to have meetings where they're not saying to senior management, how can we be more interesting? And instead, they're actually saying, how can we play more safely? And that's not what happens, he says, when you want to make a hit TV show or a website that people care about. You need editors, not brand managers. And he basically says, if you're going to do this well, you need to kind of separate yourself from the business. And I thought that was a really interesting thing with as many discussions as I've had with big enterprise marketing teams about creating an owned media property that is separate, a content brand um, to pull from Andrew Davis's lexicon. This is a really interesting idea for me. Was there, I mean, was there anything else that jumped out at you? Well, it was so funny because today, um, you know, we're working on our documentary and the, the video team came and, and interviewed me today and I was, they were asking, you know, the same they did for you. They asked all the questions and I give them all the answers. And the one question that sort of got surprised because I didn't know that they were going to ask it was, why did you think content marketing was going to be this big thing? Like, why did you put everything behind it? Why did you leave your job? Why did you do all this <laughs> right? in there? And I said... I started with the idea that I couldn't believe that so many businesses out there were just continuing to advertise and just didn't wake up and say, well, why don't we just create our own audience instead of having to rent it? Like that's a, I, I talk about this all the time when somebody asked me a question. I said, if, right. if we were to start all over again and we weren't have, didn't have any paid media and everybody says, okay, well, now you've got your products and services. Now you got to go market. I think everybody would naturally say, well, let's create our own channel. Let's create some awesome stuff, so awesome experiences, so people pay attention to us. They don't say they wouldn't say, "Well, let me wait till Joe down the street builds up his channel, and then I'm going to advertise in it." It just wouldn't make any sense, <laughs> right? So the right. part when then reading this, I did that interview, and then I was reading this, and that's he says basically the same thing. He's he was talking. He used Gillette as the example. He's like, "I don't get it. Like, why didn't Gillette just go out and they build their own online magazine for men instead of?" Instead of advertising in GQ or Esquire, like why? Why not? Right. Or why? And then he goes, "Why didn't Random House or Simon and Schuster start a search engine? Why didn't they do it? Google did it. It's just it. It's just no brainer stuff." And I like the article for the fact that Seth Godin just says stuff in such a simple way that people get it. And and we're you and I are both. Th- it's annoying, well, actually. It's annoying how 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 good he how is at it. He can yes, how how he can say something in three hundred words that takes me like fifteen hundred to say. I mean, it's 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 really he's quite talented. And, and he and t- so so that whole thing, I really like that part. So it's a good reminder to folks to say, look, yeah. are we creating the the go to resource for our? Are we that interesting? And then I love how he, you know. He talks about a metric that nobody would get away with at an enterprise because they ask him, what's the metric? And the metric, he says, will people miss you if you're gone? But you and I have talked about that a lot of times. And when we say, hey, look, if your content marketing was taken off the face of the earth, would anyone miss it? I mean, that's sort of the real testament to whether or not it's working. (laughs) If they wouldn't miss it, it's not very good, right? If they're going to miss it, you're doing something that's impacting the world. So, 
It's a high bar. It's a high bar. I mean, I was doing an interview today, and and uh, you know that's that it's, it's interesting. I didn't say it like that, but that's you know that's that's kind of what I got at, which was, you know, if you took away that content, you know, would basically what would be left, right? You know, and it's it's one of those things as, as I like to say, take every bit of content away uh, from your website. Basically, everything that's not talking about the product, take it all away. And what, what do you have left? And the, the answer is, well, we didn't take anything off the table. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like you didn't – basically, everything you're doing is talking about you. And, and that you – know, nobody's going to miss any of that. That's the – you know, it's funny that, that I didn't get asked that question by, by, by the documentary team. I, I, you know what my answer would have been? What? I want to know. I I would have said it was interesting because when you and I first started talking, this goes way back, children, back, way, back way, way, way back. Um, I'm kidding, play. Yeah, way back in the day. Boat. When you and I first started talking, we had dinner, and we were talking about starting this thing and, and getting together and doing some work together and all that kind of stuff. And I remember coming home from that trip, and uh, I was still in my previous job, and I said, I think I want to go all in on this. And I had dinner with my wife, and we were talking about it. And she said, why do you want to do this? Why do you think this is sort of the thing? And I said, I, I believed in my gut. I had no way to intellectually prove this. I just believed in my gut that this was going to be the new way to market, to create value. And I said, I, I lived through the dot-com era and didn't get to ride any of those waves. I basically watched it from the sidelines, watched all these people sort of go and really do big, important things from the sidelines. And I sort of have been sort of behind that curve ever since because I didn't take risks. I didn't really – I was playing it safe. I said, this is the, 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 the biggest risk by just going all in on this that I know in my career that I can take, and it just feels right. And, you know, here we are today. So, yeah, I, I, it's, it's – it's, it, 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 in some ways, it's about doing something – that doesn't make sense that you really care about and instead of sort of what, you know, what makes intellectual yeah, sense. It's so funny to hear that when I just did an interview, we did an interview recently with Jay Kunzo, Jay, you know, good friend of the show. Um, he's at next view ventures. And it was, we were asking yep. him questions about how he works with startups because he works with startups at very early stage. And he was talking about how every startup creates a product that they think is going to solve a major problem in the world. And they are really passionate about it, but they don't think about that with their content at all. They don't their right. con- their product needs to be the best in the world, but their content can just be also ran. And that's yeah. th- that's basically most companies. That's the issue we're having because there's only a very few that take it. There's only very few that do a strategy. Only very few that put a lot of energy behind it. Only very few that risk enough to say, "Look, we believe in this in our gut. We believe it's the right way. We're going to do this." Um, I mean, that's. Excuse me. That's what we're seeing with Marriott. Marriott is all in right now. Everybody from the top down, they all believe it. And they said, look, we know this is sort of unconventional, but we believe this is the right thing to do. We're going to do it. We're going to be the media company for the travel industry, even though we're a hotel chain. They're doing what Seth said in this article. They're basically doing what Seth had advised Gillette to do. They're basically saying, we can do this. We abs- There's no reason we can't do this. That's... Uh and, and that's, I mean, that's really where we are today. I think it's, I think it's what a an opportunity, opportunity, right? What an opportunity for yeah. these bigger yeah. brands out there that just, 
they're just doing it the same old way. It's just like they could just yeah. – I, I don't know if they mentioned it in here, but he says something like, you know, i got $3 million to spend, but – you know, I could put that into paid, but I could create a whole platform for three hundred thousand. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, are you exactly. kidding me? Yes, I'm going to make what it. It seems risky, but it really isn't. I think it's the more sensible right. way to do it. But we think it's risky because it's different because we didn't choose IBM. Right. You know, that's right. Anyways. That's right. Well, speaking of risk and speaking of sort of the innovation and change, um, our next article comes to us from Medium.com, like another article. I mean, first of all, can we just talk about how awesome Medium.com is in the way that they present content? I mean, it's incredible, I, right? I, I am – every time I go to an article on Medium, first of all, you know it's Medium. Second of all, nobody yeah, right. nobody cares enough. It's almost like how Apple cared with their design. They're doing the yeah. same thing, and they're saying, look, the, the experience that you get at Medium is going to be the best digital experience you will have today. It's really just that. great. I mean, they're just it's just a blog post, but at the way that you experience the content is – anyway, it's just really great. The article that we're talking about um, and want to chat a little bit about is – the the headline is, Nine Ways the Most Innovative Media Companies Are Succeeding. And it introduces this idea. It says, in 2014, media organizations experienced an unprecedented arms race instigated by startups, traditional rivals, brands becoming content companies. And we've talked about that ad nauseum on this show. And then it goes through in quite a linear fashion – sort of nine things that are helping and innovations that media companies are doing. And it walks through data, but it also walks through reasons to believe. And then it just sort of steps through it. And none of the information sort of on its own is sort of earth shattering. They're, they're not things that you haven't seen elsewhere. But the way it builds an argument here is just, I think a, it was really, I really enjoyed reading it. There's, I mean, if from a word standpoint, there's really not that many words to this article, but the yeah, way that it's, it's laid right. out it's, and the way it's presented is it's fantastic. There's a couple of things that I like about this that you almost feel like you went through a conference <laughs> session after after reading it. It's it's, it's just a, really it's good. like you went on your own little retreat, and it yeah and it gave you nine <laughs> shiny stones, and it was just so fantastic. And you got a swag bag and everything. Um, the couple of things I, I want to hear what you like sort of stood out to you, but the one that I like is the one that they say basically uh, partnering is default right now, which I thought was really right. because we talk about the whole yep. influencer strategy all the time. But basically, he thought, I, I, I don't have it in front of me, but he's, he's mentioned something about how, you know, just ask a teenager how to get more followers. They, they go and they partner right. and they create content with somebody that has a lot of followers. <laughs> He's like, it's yeah, a no-brainer. Exactly. Hello. So if you want, yeah, it seems it, silly, yeah, but yeah, exactly. If you want more audience, you go and partner with somebody that has a solid audience. And we've been talking about that with an influencer strategy, and I talk about the social media four one one strategy in every speech I do, right. and it's all about that. Um, the other thing is, which is a no-brainer, but most large companies don't want to do it because they feel they're going to miss out on something. Is the first one, which it talks about um, going niche, um, yeah. where we think yes. that. We think that the opportunity is to get more audience and to go wider, and that's never the case. It's always focusing on the niche, and the more you focus on the niche, the more opportunity that you'll have to spread, the more audience that you'll get in that area because you're more relevant. And that's where con that's why content marketing is hard, and it's harder than advertising because if you're a large company, you might actually have to have at some point 20 to 25 to 30 different content platforms because you have 20 to 25 to 30 different audiences 
and that's exactly. the problem. But we don't. But most enterprises don't. It's just the, it's like the same company that you and I, which we can't say the name. But when you and I were in Toronto doing that workshop, and it was this, right. you know the top ten technology company, and the the blog was broke, and she wanted to know why her blog was broken. We asked, well, how many audiences are you targeting with your blog? And she said, <laughs> right. eighteen. Exactly. Right. I said, well, we and then we said, yep, I we found your problem. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right, check, please. I think we've identified the issue. <laughs> so anyway, I think we've identified the symptoms. Of so what, issue, what yeah. does st- stood out for you here in this article? Uh, the, you know, it was the last one. It was the you know the it's it, it's called get physical to get authentic, and it talks about um, some of the non traditional publishers going to increasingly a physical premium experience, and it talks through like Airbnb's Pineapple Magazine and Warby Parker's. Uh, publishing uh, their their magazine, um, and even to something uh, that they they speak to, which is you know, I, and I love the way they said it, a gathering of your closest friends, right? Where you make it really intimate. Um, it's just it was really I I love that idea of making the physical the exclusive, right? And 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 it was just something that resonated today because it was something that came up in a client conversation I was having, which is the idea of exclusivity for customers and loyalty and all that sort of thing. And the the power that physical things, like whether it's a magazine or whether it's a physical event or the combination of those things can really have. And I, I love that as sort of the ninth, the ninth well, thing there. Well, that's so true. I mean, our uh, February issue just came out, and I see it all over Twitter. Everybody's got their issue. They take a picture of it. They get all excited, and it's, just, it's a magazine. But it's such a rarity today. Right. The people are like, "Whoa, man! Yeah. Somebody said somebody cared enough to print it and mail it to yeah, me." Exactly. This and, exactly. and then we and you saw probably this. You saw that uh, our friend Drew Davis was on the cover of the magazine dressed up as the Tin Man. The Tin Man, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's and if you followed some of the comments, he said it means so much more to me to be on the cover of a print magazine than anything else oh, I do on digitally. So I mean it's yeah absolutely it, there's there's meaning behind it and I think that's what we're talking about how do we make I mean and somebody's writing a book on experiences how do we make more meaningful experiences <laughs> there's an opportunity there there you go all right moving on to our last story uh, of the day um, which will pair up with two links here uh, is the rise of the content economy and this comes to us uh, via VentureBeat which uh, really is just a talking through of uh, this idea of the rise of content. I mean, this is certainly no shock here on this show at all, but it basically says surprising transformation across the media industry has happened and within the span of a few years and all that sort of thing. And, and as a result, sweeping changes in media advertising technology are in motion and, and publishers and advertisers are changing strategy as fast as you can say, quote unquote, media spinoff. And, and then it goes through some of the points that would be making up this content economy. And there are things – I thought it was interesting to me, the article, how it sort of pointed them all out together, sort of publisher as creative agency, which we've talked about a lot, brand media as publishers, platforms morphing into media companies, which are what we've talked about before, and, and all those sorts of things. And then tied into that, and then I want to get your take on this, Joe, is the New York Times, also an article that came out this week – which is creating a new education platform. So 
the New York Times is basically entering the world of education with this new effort that they're calling NYTEDU, um, which I guess is something they've done before the article touches on, but now is going to be a little different because they're actually partnering with an education group and they're going to create this entire education. Is this what you talk about all the time where media companies are going to launch a, a product? And what do you think about this content economy idea here? Well, the 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 first article from VentureBeat, I mean, it's – I like the article except for the fact that every time you can tell when somebody doesn't get content marketing because the examples oh, right. that yes. they mention for brand media publishers are all campaigns. They're all very right. short content initiatives. They're not talking about the John Deere furrows of the world. They're not talking about the Red Bull Red bulletins that have been going on for years and years. They talk about articles or positions or campaigns. So that I just it just bugs me. Now, the, right. the, which is it's now having, having said, said that, that <laughs> the rest of it was fantastic. Um, the New York Times. So the the New York Times Educational Initiative is interesting. Yes, we will continue to see a ton of this happen. And you know, I've been I can't mention the companies, but we've been working with a number. Of publishers that have been talking about this, they're getting heavy into e-commerce. They're getting heavy into, uh, you know, looking at old brands that used to sell things to integrate because they have the audience, but they don't necessarily have something to sell. We well, hear the New York Times right. is creating a paid content course, which is it's not that far removed from what they're doing. I think they're not going all in enough on this. So they're collaborating with. Um, somebody called the CIG Education Group, they say, which helps yep. create branded academic institutions like Sotheby's in, in Institute of Art. I hope they go all in with this. It seems like the way that the uh, the article talks about it, it almost seems like a test, which is fine. You know, they are they got burned before because they tried some educational initiative before and they're, they're trying to do it again. I really believe – I mean, we talked about it. I can't remember what episode it was. It was probably like 20 episodes ago when we were talking about, well, if the Wall Street Journal created a writing course, right. who, who would not sign up for that? You know, if you want to be a reporter or a writer or an editor and you're, gonna, you're going to get – could you get certified by the Wall Street Journal? And everybody would be lining up for right. that. I think exactly. the New York Times could do this, and it seems like this is their foray into that or, or at least the position of it. It just for me, and I don't know what you feel about it, it just doesn't feel like they're going all in. I think they need more Here's, of this. They need to really be looking here, at – look, advertising is not going to go up tr- dramatically. Um, they right. already know that the print side is going to – it's on its way, a slow descent, not killing them, but slow descent down. Digital's going up, but not enough to cover the, the downward draft of the print advertising. So they need to add more of these types of products and services in. And I I just don't – I don't know if it's enough. I, I think they need to be doing more of this, more R&D, more investment in this area. And I guarantee this is going to fail. Oh, I want to, so why are you guaranteeing it? I want to hear this. Well, I'll, I will tell you that the article actually guarantees it at the very end. The very, the very last two sentences basically guarantee failure for this thing. And the last two sentences are basically, journalists on the Times staff are busy with their oh, day jobs yeah. and would not be required to participate, though he said he could see them offering guest lectures or particularly interested staff members becoming otherwise involved, as long as it did not conflict with their editorial duties. And that just says to me, yeah, exactly what you just said. This is something that, eh, if it works, great. If it doesn't, you know, as if we don't make it real, if you depend on basically the kindness of of people to volunteer their time as the 
precursor of whether this is going to work, it's guaranteed failure. This is, the, this is classically why content marketing is failing in most organizations because content is everybody's job and nobody's job. And it's the kind of thing where let's launch a blog. We should launch a blog. Should we launch a blog? Yeah, let's launch a blog. Great, we've launched a blog. Now, how are we going to fill it full of content? I don't know. Bob and Joe and Mary and Sam and Jane, they're going to they're put content in it. Great. Is it part of their job? No, they'll just do it when they have extra time. Well, Bob and Joe and Mary and Sally, they never have extra time. You know, I have too much money and too much time on my hands, said no marketing person ever in the history of mankind. And so if we don't make it real, if we don't make it something that they're responsible for, it's just never going to happen. And so to me, that sort of says at the very end, sort of like, wap, 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 it's not going to happen. And so I, I think that I think this is the last we ever hear. So of this. in episode eighty nine, we'll be talking about how the <laughs> New York Times ditches right. their how they new su- education how they succeeded effort. wildly. Right? Yeah. How, right. How the episode eighty nine will be like New York Times succeeds wildly with education platform. We'll be eating crow. Robert Rose that. eats his eggs and and in in shame puts his head down. No, in shame. I would love to. What I really want is if I was if I was going to. Uh, rename this article. I would like it to say something about New York Times goes all in with paid education right. initiative, and they could go and they could cite That's all the right. resources sources about how Coursera and online training is really starting to take off, and University of Phoenix, and they could say, "Here's an opportunity. We have a captive audience. They're interested in this. Done." And this is this is how we're going to look at it, and these are the new courses, and then we're going to expand into this secondary area. Why don't they do that That's instead exactly. of the? I, I let's don't try know. it. Because they don't listen to this show, Joe. That's why they don't do it. They don't listen to PNR's This Old Marketing with Joe Polizzi and Robert Rose. (laughs) Get on that. (laughs) It's your fault, man. Oh, that is my fault. That is uh, Come on, Hollywood. Make it happen. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Speaking of Hollywood and of paying the bills, we have a lovely sponsor we we should probably talk a little bit about. the music. Our sponsor of this wonderful episode 67 of This Old Marketing is Marketo. Marketo, one of the leading marketing automation software solution platforms. Uh, And what they've really done, and we've talked about this because this is the, the second or third time we've talked about it. They put together this amazing workbook called the Content Marketing Tactical Plan. Um, you and I both downloaded it. It is the MTP. It, it's it's invaluable. And we don't talk this stuff up very often as much as this, but please download it. If you're trying to develop your content marketing strategies, trying to create uh, you know, that, con- and we know that you content are. machine that really maps out to your goals. And what's great about this is it includes your staffing guidelines, um, content planning charts, editorial templates. It's just great. Promotion objectives and tactics, content metrics, everything. you got to download it at bit.ly.com slash PNR dash Marketo. That's bit.ly.com slash PNR dash Marketo, or you can go to the show notes and download it at any time. A really great piece, and, and we love you supporting the show, and you can support the show by downloading this and making our sponsor happy. So they come back and sponsor again, which would be great. Fantastic. And then you can listen to episode 68. There we go. There go. Fantastic. And that's your drinking game for you, Fantastic. folks. I hope you're all playing along at home. Um, all right. Well, it is now time for your favorite part of the show, which is our rants and rave section where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave on something that is showing us a little, oh, you know, Oscar love or a little bit of Lady Gaga, 
somewhere, um, you know, the hills are alive with the sound of music <laughs> love. So I am going first, since I have at least this kickoff of this Got old it. marketing this week. I have a very short rave this week. Um, and it is basically, for fans of the show, you will know that Joe and I are both total fanboys of what Lego um, has been doing. And I think the Oscars were basically the whole show was stolen by Lego last night. And le- I, I, this, so the article that I'm raving about here comes because I did a little research on this because I was at the end of the Oscars, I, I sort of went, you know, the only thing I really remember are people holding up their Lego Oscars. And I thought that was the most amazing thing ever. I thought, here is a, here is a, that was nominated basically for one award. It got snubbed totally for best animated feature, was nominated for the song. They came out and did a, I thought, okay version. I didn't love the version that they did of the song actually with, um, the uh, the the two girls and and uh, Lonely Island, um, sort of supporting them, but they the the sort of model Oscars and the article comes from Adweek where basically Adweek's coverage says in its headline Lego designed its own Oscar and completely stole the show and the story behind it apparently is basically when they didn't get nominated um, basically the the Phil Lord who uh, was was uh, instrumental in the in the original movie and, and all of that basically said I made my own and tweeted out an image of the Lego uh, uh, version of the Oscar statue, which of course went viral and it was wonderful. Well, they then made them. And then as the song was playing, of course, last night, they handed them out. And they handed them out to Oprah Winfrey and they handed them out to Emma Stone. And, and they go through a list of all the people. They, if, if you go online and you actually search, you can see all the stars took selfies with the Lego Oscar guy. It's fantastic. I mean, here you've got, you talk about newsjacking, that's real-time awesome newsjacking with product integration that they, I guarantee you, didn't pay for. And it's a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful um, thing. And I just I just loved it and I had to it's a great story. It. I didn't see it live, but we watched it with the kids this morning. The kids were off school yeah. again today. so uh, But we, we checked that out. Really amazing stuff. Yeah, I mean, Oprah looked so happy to have that in her head. They almost looked like they, they loved it more than the real the, thing. They, when they were interviewing, they were like, I'm super happy to have this. And they were, you know, they were they were making little speeches and on, you know, in video and on Instagram. And it was just, it was really great. All right, that's a great story. Mine is um, mine comes from the Wall Street Journal. Uh, it's uh, an article called "Is People Your Friends?" Your friends, friends at, at the Wall, Wall Street, Street Journal. Journal. I do have. By the way, do, here's a, here's a quick side note. Want to want to hear sure. something funny? Do a Google search for marketing rant, and guess whose article is like number five on the first page of Google? Who's whose article? <laughs> It's, oh no it's your, no no! Don't. It's your it's your rant oh, one, but it's not, the Wall Street Journal. That's not good at all because I made up with them. I, you know, I went in. And I know to it's them just it's just awesome. But if you do a Google search for marketing rant, you'll see it. It's great. Anyways, <clears throat> so that's fantastic. Hopefully, yeah. nobody's searching for that. Yeah. Take a shot. Um, there's an article in the Wall Street Journal called Is People Magazine? It's actually from today's Wall Street Journal. Is People Magazine relevant in the digital age? And I actually have a rant and a rave about this. Um, oh, all right. And it goes, it, just, it goes back to what we were just talking about with the New York Times. I read this whole article, and we've got um, uh, Mr. Uh, Joe Ripp, who is the new CEO of Time. And basically, it's a Q&A with Wall Street Journal. 
and they go through, yep. and there's some interesting points in there. So it's 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 a worthy read. But the one thing is, never anything talking. Everything's talking about advertising. I mean, <laughs> is how how can are we completely off here? I mean, how can how can they be so short sighted not to look at product selling opportunities with the with that model? I don't get it. I really don't. Um, so, anyways, they talk about this uh, whole thing, and they and they I go through it, and they basically talk about how digital advertising has taken off on people. Um, they talk about how it's been neglected for a while, and actually, you, I know this firsthand because when you have a large a media company and they start to buy up properties and time is a large media company a number of properties like sports illustrated people magazine whatnot um they some of them get put to the side people magazine was one of those that went put to the side and so now they're saying look it's important again if we need to put more in, in, <laughs> put into this so the whole the rant on this whole thing was i can't believe they went through the whole q a and they didn't mention any opportunities for looking outside the box of just digital advertising because I think I don't think right. that digital advertising is anything more um, of an opportunity. I think it's just going. It's bigger because they have so little of it, so it's going to grow because yeah. they're growing that arm of it. It's fascinating that Wall Street Journal didn't even bring up. I, you know, it doesn't bring up native or anything. I, I thought that. that they. I thought that they would, but the the other um, the other part about it that I did like, and it talks about how. They always thought of themselves as being in the magazine industry. And there's a section of this article. And he, when, when Mr. Rip came in, he said the first thing is, is he told all of his people, look, we're not in the magazine industry anymore. And it reminded me of you, you talk about this all the time about who's the person about we're not in the tran- we're not in the railroad business, we're in the transportation business. Sure. Yeah, Theodore Theodore Levitt. Levitt. Yeah, yep. same thing. So, yeah, marketing myopia. And that that's the exact thing when I was at Penton Media in 2000 2001, it there was that movement from our what business are we in? Are we in the magazine industry or are we in the media industry? Are we in the audience building right. industry, you know? And yep. it just gets me thinking and relevant for people listening to this is I think that now because of technology integration and how it's flowing through every business and how basically every business right now is being disrupted in one way or another, I, I think now is the time to look and really ask ourselves what business are we in? And especially yep. with our content. Because if you're figuring out, I mean, this now is the time to take content bets. Now is the time to really figure out, okay, well, yeah, we, we sell widgets, but what what's our customers' pain points, and maybe we should be focusing on being the leading information provider around that content area. So, this is a really good article for anybody interested in media at all. So I, I so I like the article. Uh, there's some good questions. I was just dumbfounded at the revenue portion, uh, but I did like the fact that he, oh, thankfully, doesn't believe that People Magazine is People Magazine. That it's media yeah. it, that they they really have a niche around building an audience of people that are interested in celebrity news. So, anyways, every day you fail to take a risk is one more day that that risk gets greater. Did, did you just that? make that up? I just made that up. How about I wonder that? if anybody's ever said that. You know who yeah, who know who I bet said it? I bet it was Gandhi because. <laughs> And here's why. Me and because Gandhi I walked tight, in today, and I walked into the United <laughs> Club at in Cleveland, and I almost yeah. ran over Ben Kingsley. And I'm not wow. kidding you. All right. See, but I don't think of Gandhi when I think of Ben Kingsley. I think of Sexy Beast when I think of Ben Kingsley. See, I don't. Is, I don't. You know, I can see it. how you could uh, say that. Have you seen I, that movie? I, I've have seen you seen that movie? Yeah, I haven't seen the whole thing. Yeah. Um, 
I, I'm not I'm not Hollywood. I can't take that whole movie. But uh, I did when I saw him. I I thought of two movies: Gandhi and Schindler's List. That's what I think of. Okay. Oh, wow. You went you you went for the serious. I think of Sexy Beast and I think Iron of Man Iron Three. Man. <laughs> I figured <laughs> right. you would, man. Yeah. yeah. There you go. That's there Hollywood go. for you. All right. All this old right. Market. Well, this old marketing. We have a wonderful example this week, and we're kind of both going to take it. Uh, I'm going to tee it up here because you know a little bit more because it's in your hometown, and and I know a little bit about the history because I've had the pleasure of working with some of the folks there. Um, the Cleveland Clinic which, of course, is a world-renowned um, uh, hospital and, and, and all of the things, the wonderful health care provided that they do. They created a content marketing program. Oh, gosh, it's been years in the making um, and years in the expression of it over the, over the last, um, gosh, five, six, seven, almost 10 years now, I guess. And they created what they called the Health Hub. And by the way, we should tee this up by saying that, that too, Cleveland Clinic is one of the few brands that Joe and I have actually see present that actually have figured out how to make sense of this whole Facebook page uh, reach thing, One of the, and, and Joe can speak to that. But Cleveland Clinic started their health hub, and it was really about the idea of providing a way for doctors to blog as well as providing health, you know, to really become a, com- a competitor in some ways to WebMD. Um, they started with 15,000 pages of content, 1,000 videos, including all of the doctor blogs. Um, they did, when they launched the thing, they got really, they started, they built up to, to more than 15,000, almost 16,000 visits in a month without any type of promotions. Um, last year, 2014, um, they were basically averaging 100,000 visits a month um, on, on average. Average. And as their CMO, Paul Matson has said, we don't do retail offers, right? Cleveland Clinic doesn't do anything with retail. The way we market is primarily through information, especially on digital platforms or through earned media. And so this idea of creating this information was, one, a search play. It was also a, a loyalty play. It was also a way to get doctors involved in talking about health care and a way for them to give back to the community. It's just – it serves so many great mes- missions by creating – the idea of how to position Cleveland Clinic as the foremost leading healthcare provider in the world, and this is a you know it, it is directed exactly toward. Well, that. What's, what I love about this is this is everybody thinks of WebMD. I think as a first. Yeah, they exactly. created a competitive product to WebMD, and the, and so yeah. I think anybody like is looking for how do you create a content platform that's integrated into a a, a brand like a Cleveland Clinic. Health Hub is one of the best ones out there. And you're right. They've cracked the code on Facebook because – and you and I have seen this, right? Because when we talk to most brands, they'll say that generally from an organic reach standpoint, they're seeing no greater than 5% organic reach on a Facebook post. And when uh, we were talking with Scott Lennebarger, uh, who's no longer there, but he was running the program um, when, when he presented at Executive Forum last year in San Francisco, which, by the way, Executive Forum's coming up in a couple weeks uh, in, in San Francisco as well. He said that in some cases they were getting 60% organic reach on their Facebook yeah. posts. And he just and we were talking about why that is, and he said they were just making sure that they these were incredibly interesting and relevant pieces. So they were really looking at real time data, and I think that's what I loved about the the case study as well is because they really do look into the data. What's going on? What are people searching for? What's I'm, it's almost like we're, you know, uh, when last time we saw. 
um, Julie Fleischer talk on craft, they were red velvet was hot, and she was saying we were kicking out all our red velvet recipes because everybody was che- was searching for red velvet. They do the same thing yep. at Cleveland Clinic. Like there's an article on here today talking about. Um, you know, there's this a, a little uh, thing right now where people are interested in garlic again for God knows what reason. So they've got a thing here, six, <laughs> six surprising ways garlic boosts your health. That, by the way, has been shared 3.6 uh, or 3,600 times on Facebook. And this is a yeah. hospital. So it's just interesting. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's great. It's fantastic. I mean, and you know, you know what the takeaway is here is that you know, and we've said this many times. We say it in workshops. We say it in client advisories all the time. They don't. They're not acting like a media company. They, they are, are a media company. company. They they understand that what they're really doing is 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 operating as a media company, and they're not thinking like marketers. They're thinking like a media company treats content and trying to be, you know, as as valuable as they possibly can to their audience. So it's value in the content itself. It's not value in describing what Cleveland Clinic does. The value of the content is separate and distinct and is there on its own. You don't have to look any further than the content to get the value and three, out of it. And that's the real three difference. to five articles a day. Three to five articles a day is what they publish. And they're good articles. And a lot of them have to be run through a committee, a team of experts, because it's got to be right. And so it's that's interesting. Right. Yeah. That's right. And it's years old, right? And I mean, it's it's that this is something they've been doing for years and years. This is not something they've just launched. And you know, it's well, it's, it's over three around. years. It's over three yeah. years for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And a wonderful example of this Very old good. marketing. So, so you're in Boston. You're in the tundra. I'm in the tundra. Where... I'm just a quick trip. I'll be back home. I, I speak at uh, our good friends at Avery Dennison on uh, Wednesday. I have to do. Uh, a couple more speeches uh, during that week uh, for some folks. Uh, it's almost like <laughs> I think I got pro bono week or something like that. I don't know who signed me up for that, but I <laughs> some speeches all to I some did, folks. Uh, you Robert, heard it here, folks. Was, He's I, it's it's sun- so yesterday it's Sunday, and I'm thinking, oh, what kind of a week do I have? And I look at the calendar, I'm like, what the. I'm speaking 18 <laughs> times, six webinars. This I'm like, what is going on here? So I, we've oh, got, well, it's, yeah. it's fine. It, and it just is what it is. So it's, no problem. Yeah. I enjoy doing it. It's Absolutely. just a lot this week. Um, what do you got it's going not, on the rest of this it, week? It is, well, it is, it, it, we've got a theme running here. So uh, this week I have uh, Content Tech, our wonderful event, That's Content right. Tech, if you haven't Sign signed up, up for it. Um, sign up. It's a great, com, wonderful tech. thing. I'll be doing a little bit of a keynote um, to open things up, and then I'm hosting a number of the sessions, and sort of you'll hear my lousy mug talking about um, all the things to introduce the wonderful, wonderful speakers that we have to talk about technology and how it's really affecting content marketing. Um, And then on Friday, I actually head up to the Silicon Valley to work with... Oh, a gigantic company. Let's just say that a gigantic, gigantic, gajillion dollar company um, up in the lovely Silicon Valley to help them sort out e-commerce and uh, and content marketing. And once I have a little more information, I can be able to share that. So then I'll then I'll come back and and sort of get ready for Sydney and Singapore. That's what I got to do next week. So. That's uh, that's no my week. No rest for the weary. Fantastic. No rest for the weary. This is the busy it, time. It sure is. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to April first. Oh yeah. There Here we go. go. All right then. Okay, folks. Well, that is it for Joe Polizzi. This is Robert Rose signing off. And you know, do tweet us up. We love it. 
hashtag this old marketing if you want to give us story ideas. We we so appreciate those story ideas. Um, and if you've got a question, you'd rather send an email, this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. And if you like this episode number 67, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes available at thisoldmarketing.com. And do tune in next week for when we're going to hear Joe say, we've done the impossible, and that makes us mighty. Remember, folks, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing. Part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.